You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. In your, your towel, and yet what has happened is you have drifted down the coast. You've drifted down the shore. And so your perspective says, I'm right, I'm where I should be. But everybody else sees you and says, no, 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 no. You've drifted. You, you've shifted. You're not where you need to be. You're, you're down the shore. You're in front of somebody else's stuff, right? Like our family's here, and you're way down there. Right? And I think this happens a lot of times in the church where people think they're right with God, think that they're okay with God, think that they can claim and, and, and find assurance in the hopes that are communicated in passages like Psalms, and yet they've shifted. And they don't have rightful claim on these things because where they're at with God right now, whether they've never been saved or whether they've been saved and have drifted, they don't have a rightful claim on those assurances right now because their relationship with the Lord is not where it should be. This week I uh, had a prompting on my Facebook site that reminded me of something that I posted back in 2018. It says this, Be careful in thinking that God is with you today because you grew up in church, have heard the gospel, and call yourself a Christian. Be careful in thinking that you can call upon God during times of need or face trials head on because you believe God is with you. If your confidence in God's presence is not accompanied by a desire to be faithful and obey him, you may be running off into battle like Joshua at Ai or Samson with the Philistines. Both those men thought God was with them and both experienced massive defeats. These are two examples in the Old Testament where you had individuals who believed God's presence was with them. They would have been, if Twitter was around, tweeting passages from Psalms saying, here's my God and here's how he cares for me and here's how he takes care of me. And yet both had drifted, right? Joshua was not necessarily guilty of sin, particularly of himself, right? It was, it was Achan's sin where he had hidden the treasure in his tent, but Joshua had become negligent as a leader and had not consulted with God before going into battle with Ai, and he led Israel into defeat. Samson's the same way, right? He's a chosen individual by God. He's been given superior strength by God, and yet he doesn't even recognize that the hair's been cut and that the presence of the Lord is no longer with him, and he goes running to battle the, the Philistines, and he's got normal human strength going into that battle, and he's defeated. Both of these individuals thought they were in front of their family at the beach. They thought they were swimming right out in front of their chairs and towels, and they had shifted. They had shifted, and they thought they had God's presence with them, and they did not. They could not claim these hopes that we've been seeing in the book of Psalms appropriately. So who can lay claim to the presence of God, specifically his favor in their life? How do we know if we can claim these psalms, how do we know if we can claim this hope? How do we know if it applies to us right now? Well, the Bible calls us to uh, a discipline of introspection. That's examining ourselves. Lamentations 3.40 talks about us examining ourselves and returning to the Lord where we need to. 2 Corinthians 13.5 challenges us to examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith. And you've heard that before. If you've grown up in church, you, you know that there's this appeal within the church to always be examining yourself, always be looking into your life. And, and a lot of times it's really per, per, uh, portrayed as look for those secret sins and weed those sins out and find those sins. And, and sometimes introspection is relegated to find your sins and confess them. Some of you maybe have been in small groups or accountability groups where it just feels like you're always having to unearth sins in your life. 
But I think introspection, as we're going to see today, also carries this idea of us finding encouragement where God has been working and moving and giving us victory. Look what Tim Challies says about self-examination. He says, self-examination is incomplete if it does not rejoice in commands that have been obeyed and sin that has been put to death. It is incomplete if it detects only failure and fails to see grace. For just as the evidences of our depravity lead to sorrow and repentance, evidences of grace lead to joy and worship. Because here's what I think, if if we're not careful, we're going to read Psalm 26 today and feel some tension about David almost coming across as prideful about his uh, spirituality. You read it and you're like, man, who can really say these things about themselves, right? Because we all know that we're sinners. We all know that we're still a work in progress. We all know that we do things that we shouldn't do. And yet David really steps forward and says, examine me. Look at my life of integrity. Look at who I am before the Lord. And we read that a lot of times and we say, no, David, you need to be looking for your sin. You need to be finding the ways that you're still at fault or the ways that you've been unfaithful. But I think it's important for us to see that there's a flip side to self-examination. It's not just about finding the sins. It's about seeing the victories that God has given to us. It's seeing the faithfulness that we do demonstrate, celebrating that faithfulness, not in a prideful way, but in a worshipful type way where we give praise and glory to God. Your Holy Spirit is working in me. Your Holy Spirit is accomplishing things in me. And I think that's what David encourages us to do today. So let's start with our summary sentence. Um, You can start reading, I'm going to start, or you can start writing, I'm going to start reading from Psalm chapter 26. It says, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I will walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence, and I go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are evil devices, and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. Our summary sentence for today. For an individual to biblically claim the favor of God in life, there must be a commitment to living with integrity, separating from the wicked influences of this world, and pursuing worshipful fellowship with the church. For an individual, so we we said, who can lay claim to God's presence and God's favor in their life? Who can read the Psalms and say, yes, that's my Lord. Yes, that's what he's doing in my life. Who can say that? Well, it's the individual who has made a commitment to living with integrity, separating from the wicked influences of this world, and pursuing worshipful fellowship with the church. Psalms 26 is all about integrity. It's a word that has to do with being a type of person all of the time rather than some of the time. It's a word that means being a type of person all of the time rather than some of the time. It's the idea of being ethical and moral, doing the right thing, doing the right thing when you don't have to, doing the right thing even when it's costly. 
for our youth doing the right thing when your parents won't be aware of it or not. Integrity has to do with doing the right thing even when you don't have to. A couple of commentators uh, mentioned uh, some accounts and some stories of integrity in, in ways when an individual did the right thing and they didn't have to. There's a, a golfer by the name of J.P. Hayes who back in 2008 realized that he used a non-regulation ball for two strokes in the tournament. Nobody knew, only him. His caddy had accidentally given him a ball that was not uh, in compliance with the regulations set forth by the tournament, but he knew it, and he realized it. Um, And so he turned himself in, and because he turned himself in, he was disqualified from the tournament, which kept him from getting the scorecard that he needed to join the tour for that year, and so he lost an entire year of earnings on the tournament because he turned himself in for two strokes on a non-regulation ball. There's a guy by the name of uh, Jeffrey... um, I don't know, or Jeremy uh, Affledit, I think. He was a pitcher for the uh, San Francisco Giants. He realized that an error had been made on his paycheck, right? So the San Francisco Giants are cutting him paychecks. He recognizes that, well, this isn't right. This isn't what we agreed to. And so he, he turned it in and, and brought it to the attention of the organization, cost himself $500,000 because he was the one that realized it, Right? That's what integrity is. It's doing the right thing when maybe nobody else realizes what the right thing is, but you do, right? It's being the right type of person regardless of the circumstances. That's what David makes claim of here. He makes claim of integrity in his own life. Look what he says in verse 1. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, right? David's saying, I am a godly individual, and I strive to be a godly individual at all times. And then he also makes a renewed commitment to integrity in verse 11, right? He says, but as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. So verse 1, this is what I've been doing. I've been walking in integrity. Verse 11 says, I shall continue to do this. He invites God to examine him with the purpose of vindicating him. We're not exactly sure the background of David's psalm here, what was happening or what was going on, but something seems to have sparked concern in his mind. Something has come into question, and David wants reassurance. Something is something or somebody is questioning his character or his motives or, or, or something, and he wants assurance that God will be the judge of him. I challenge you that your character and conduct will be attacked at times. And will, will there be enough to vindicate you? Because here's what David says. He says, my character's in question. Let me lay out for you why it should not be. He says, I'm going to invite God to be the judge of me, right? Now, I'll confess that in preparing this message, I feel like our youth that are sitting here today, and, and really even uh, kids that are, that are trending towards our youth group, so really like even like second and up, really this is important for you today, just as much for our adults. So if you'll, if you'll bear with me, I really want to kind of step into a mindset of, of teaching to our youth and our kids for the remainder of our time. And, and our adults can just listen in because it applies to you as well. But I don't want our youth to think that this is something for mom and dad and to miss how important it is for you. Because our youth need this message. Why? Because integrity is not valued today. It's not. Um, and I'm around kids enough during the week to know that integrity is a lost thing. Being the right type of person when nobody's looking is, is a lost thing in our society today. Integrity is not valued. Evil company, it's on the rise. It's on the rise. 
um, it's on the rise amongst uh, even the, the righteous who gather together, right? It used to be that maybe you could say, uh, over here is where the evil are, but then you can, you can, you can remove yourself from that. You can, you can be in youth group or you can be in a Christian school and kind of get away from some of that. That's just not the case anymore. It doesn't matter whether you go to public school or private school. You're, you're going to find the wicked to be around if you want to because the, the evil influences are on the rise. And then the last piece for why I would say our youth need this so much because they're around a community where integrity is not valued, evil companies on the rise, and the relevancy of church involvement is minimized. The relevancy of church membership and church involvement is being minimized more and more. And man, if anything, COVID has, has expedited that process. Because COVID has given families an out for being involved in church, and we know that, right? Church attendance is down across the country. Uh, so-called church involvement online is on a rise. But, but really, how do you chart that? How can you really guarantee that that's happening or not, right? Um, the more families I talk to, the more I realize uh, less and less are involved in church. Um, and so our youth need to hear this because I don't know what church culture and church expectation, even amongst the, the southern biblical belt that they've grown, in, uh, grown up into, will look like when they're outside of the home. I don't know what it's going to look like five years from now, ten years from now. I don't know if there's still going to be an expectation that you're supposed to go to church. Because right now, church involvement is being minimized constantly. And our youth need to hear this. You guys need to hear this because integrity is being devalued, evil company is on the rise, and church involvement is being minimized. Um, it, it's not the same as it was five years ago or even 10 years ago. Our youth need to hear this. Our adults need to hear this. David's character is called into question, and he says, God, vindicate me. You look into my life, and you, you vindicate me. And so we're tying this idea to how do we know that we can lay claim to the hopes of Psalms? How do we know that God's favor is upon us? Because that's ultimately what David's calling upon here. He is, he is, he is, um, He's basically questioning God to, to judge him with the purpose of showing that God's favor is upon me, that I am in right relationship with God. That's, that's what he's calling into question here. So how do we know that we can lay claim to Psalms? Well, let's look at the example that David gives us. Number one, I forgot to give our kids uh, their summary sentence, right? We can know God is for us if we have decided to make our life for him. We can know that God is for us if we've decided to make our life for him. Number one, be assured of his presence by aligning with him. Be assured of his presence by aligning with him. Number one there, we can find confidence in God's favor being upon us because we trust him. Look what David says. I've walked in my integrity, but more importantly, I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, try me, test me, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I think it's important to note here that David's ultimate trust is not in his performance, but his confidence does flow from the work being done in his life in response to his faith, right? So David's not saying that, that God favors me because I've done enough good for him to do so, right? But what he is excited about and what he is uh, proclaiming here is that God is working in my life and it is leading to a life of integrity. I think it's real similar to what we're seeing um, in our study in 1 John. 
right? First John is all about you knowing that you have eternal life. And there's tests that are given in First John, right? Like you're supposed to examine your theology. Do you believe rightly about Jesus? You're to examine your behavior. Do you obey his commands? You're to examine and, and to evaluate whether you love the right things. Do you love the world or do you love other people? And if you can pass those tests, right, if you believe rightly about Jesus, if you, if you obey his commands and you love other people, then you probably have eternal life. Like there's a really, really good chance that you do because John says, I write to give you assurance of your eternal life. I write to give you assurance of your salvation. So David's saying, hey, I'm, a, I'm an individual of integrity, but it's because I've trusted in the Lord. It's because his steadfast love is before my eyes. It's because I walk in his faithfulness. The habitual bent of David's life was towards Yahweh and his word. Right? Because you think about David, like we could start rattling off sins in David's life pretty quickly. I mean, to, to say, like, I'm a man of integrity, like, examine my life, find the sin, right? We don't have to study that much into David's life to say, well, I can find some, David. Like, like, I can list some off right now. And yet he's saying, Examine me, Lord. I'm a man of integrity. The idea here is not that David is perfect, but that the habitual bent of his life is towards Yahweh and towards his word. Yes, he fell at times, but we know that David is portrayed as a man after God's own heart. Think about it this way. Like, you'd probably laugh at how clumsy I can be walking to my deer stand, particularly in the mornings, but not just in the mornings when it's dark. It can be like sunny and bright outside, and I find a way to trip on every route between my truck and the deer stand. There's also things that will divert me from the path of getting to my deer stand. I'll see signs of a deer over here, and I'll kind of walk over into the woods over here. Or as I'm walking to my stand, I'm like, oh, this might be a better stand one day, and I'll walk over here. But eventually I get to my deer stand, right? The habitual bent of my walk is towards the deer stand. There's times when I stumble. There's times when I fall. There's times when I deviate from the path. But what overall is my goal is accomplished, and that's getting to my deer stand, the same with David's life, right? Do we see times where he falls? Yeah. Do we see times where he deviates from the path? Absolutely, as we see in all Christians. But we also look at David's life and we say, if we're going to look at what the habitual bent of David's life was, what was the norm for David? He's pursuing God, right? He's pursuing God, and so he says, I'm a man of integrity. It's probably worth noting that uh, we don't have to prove this because God validates him. Look what God says in uh, 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 4 and 5. He's talking to Solomon, and he says, As for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, look what he says, with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I've commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever as I promised David your father. Isn't that really cool to think that God is talking about David and he says, here's a man of integrity. Here's a man who, who has lived his life with integrity. And again, we're sitting there going, but, but, but I can tell you about some of the sins in David's life, right? And God's like, look, the habitual bent of David was to love me. He's a man after my heart, right? And David felt that too. He said, look, like, I'll challenge anybody that tells me I don't love God, right? And, and as I was studying, I felt, I feel this way 
about, about Lauren, my wife, right? Like, I love Lauren. Am I perfect in my love towards her? No. Like, she can tell you that. She could probably list some ways that even this week I, I failed in loving her properly. But the habitual bent of my life is that I love her and I want to serve her and take care of her. And I would challenge anybody that questions my love for her. Am I perfect towards her? No. Have I been of a man of integrity towards her in, in trying to love her and care for her properly? I believe so. And I would challenge anybody that would question that. Even though I have failed at times, I've been lazy and selfish at times in my relationship with her. I love her. I think that's what David would say about his relationship with God. I love him. Have I, have I failed at times to express that rightly? Yeah. But you look at my life, you examine and you see what is the norm for me. And the norm is that I follow him. The norm is that I long for him, right? We find confidence in God's favor by being one who trusts him as David did. Uh, David trusts in Yahweh. His steadfast love and his faithfulness are the grounds for his confidence. David recognizes in spite of his integrity, he still needs redemption, right? So again, this is where we would say David's not so pompous and spiritually prideful that he thinks he's perfect because he even highlights the fact that he needs salvation. He needs redemption in spite of his efforts of integrity. Look what he says in verse 11. As for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. If David for a second thought that he was perfect, he doesn't need grace, right? Because grace by definition is him getting something that he does not deserve. He's being redeemed. Why? Because he's a sinner. He says, please redeem me. Please show grace to me. So even David recognizes he's not perfect, but he does believe that he has trusted God faithfully and therefore has lived a life of integrity. The idea of testing even carries the idea of metalwork, where the metal would be heated with the dross raising or rising to the top to where you would clear off the impurities of that metal. The idea here by, by David is I'm, I'm metal though, right? Like I am a precious metal that still has flaws, but God, you test me, clear out what still needs to be cleared out. But no, I am yours. I'm the precious metal that you are testing and refining. We find confidence in God's favor by being one who trusts in him. Number two, we can find confidence in God's favor being upon us because we obey him. Because we obey him. David's confidence about his integrity lies with his commitment to full obedience. Think about what he says. He's walked in faithfulness. He's trusted in the Lord without wavering. He's walked in integrity. To even be able to say those things accurately means that he's also carried through with God's instructions about what to do with his sin, right? We've seen this in 1 John 1, right? We're, we're, we're liars if we say that we have no sin. We make God a liar if we say we have not sinned against him. We're told that if we see our sins, we confess our sins and we find forgiveness for our sins, right? So we don't cover our sins. We bring them to Christ so that he covers them with his blood. David has done that. Because if he had not done that, he would not be living in integrity. He would not be living with obedience. So to say that I've been obedient, to say that I'm a man of integrity, is to say that I've handled my sin properly as well. And even when David hid his sin or was uh, un, uh, not willing to recognize his sin, when he's confronted, he's confronted with Nathan the prophet coming to him, I mean, he's immediately broken over his sin, right? So even when he falters, even when he falls, but he does what he's supposed to do by bringing his sin into the light. He's the individual who is walking in the light by bringing his sin into the light where it can be properly covered. 
I think David's a great example of faith and works that we see in James chapter 2. He says things like, I trust you, Lord. But then he also says, I walk, right? The, the, the faith aspect is, I trust in your faithfulness. I trust in your steadfast love. And then I respond by walking in integrity. James 2 would say, hey, you can't have faith without works, right? Show me your faith and I'll show you my works, right? And so David is an example of this. We can be assured of his presence by aligning with him. So uh, for our youth to see that it is so important for you to know God, to trust God, to live a life of integrity and obedience to his commands. And one of the ways that we help ourselves by doing so is number two. Be assured of his presence by assembling for him. Be assured of his presence by assembling for him. He says, I've walked in my integrity. I've trusted in the Lord without wavering. He tells the Lord to, to, to prove him, to test him, to try him. Right, relying upon the steadfast love of God and God's faithfulness to vindicate him. But then look what he says in verse 4. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. Number one, we can find confidence in God's favor being upon us because we distance ourselves from the wicked. David points to further evidence for his integrity based on his lack of activity and the company he has chosen not to keep. This is an important question for our youth to ask. It's an important question for our kids to ask. Who do you keep company with? Who do you keep company with? Who are your friends? Uh, who are the, the individuals that you are prone to sit with at the lunch table? Who are the individuals that you congregate with at the football game? I'm going to tell you that who you choose to congregate with says a lot about your spiritual condition. That's what David says. David says, I'm a man of integrity. And one of the ways that you know that is that I don't, I don't hang with those people. I don't, I don't fellowship with those people. I don't spend time with those people, right? He's obeying what Psalm 1-1 talks about, right? Where do we get our counsel? Where do we get our instruction? Where do we get our guidance? Where, where do we get our, our shaping of our worldview? Psalm 1-1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. David's obeying Psalm 1. He hasn't, he hasn't isolated himself or inoculated himself. Remember, we used those two terms when we were talking about salt and light, right? So there's some tension here. Am I supposed to just withdraw completely from the world? Do I have no interaction with sinners? Is that what David's saying? No. We're not supposed to isolate ourselves. We're not supposed to hide ourselves in our houses and never interact with the world. But we're also not supposed to what most of us, or a lot of times we are guilty of, and that's inoculate, meaning we, we expose ourselves to the world because we think we can handle it and we think we can change it, right? Instead, we're supposed to insulate ourselves, right? We protect ourselves. We guard ourselves. When we are in the company of the evil, when we are in the company of the wicked, we act as salt and light, right? So we bring we bring improvement to that environment. Jesus did that, right? Jesus hung out with sinners. Jesus was friends with sinners. But it was always on his terms and not the terms of the sinner, right? He was accused of being with sinners. But you look at Jesus' interaction with sinners, it's always gospel-focused, right? 
It's not for entertainment. It's not for fellowship. It's not for community. That was with his disciples. He would, he would infiltrate the world, and he would share the gospel with the world, but that's not where he found his community, and it's not where David found his community either. When that group, and we all know that group, particularly in our, in our times in school, that group of kids, David wasn't named with that group. When the friends were identified, David's name would not be listed with them because his spiritual alignment drove his social alignment. Let me say that again because sometimes our youth need to hear it twice. His spiritual alignment drove his social alignment, right? His commitment to the Lord shaped who he spent time with. It shaped what he did with those that he spent time with as well. He avoids the hypocrites, Right? He says, I don't, I don't spend time with men of falsehood. I don't consort with the hypocrites. What was a hypocrite? Well, at that time, it was used uh, as a reference to, to basically actors, people who would wear masks and pretend to be something that they weren't. And so instead of calling them actors and actresses, you might would have called them hypocrites. Then it became known within the church community, people who claim to be followers of God, but who aren't really. And we all know those people too. We all know there's people who lay claim to things like the book of Psalms, but they really shouldn't because their life doesn't match with what's being described here. He refuses to fellowship and align with those who only pretend to worship the Lord, who only pretend to obey him. If we truly want to be transformed with Jesus, both now and later, then we cannot become disfigured by conformity to the world. You can't keep God's commands and evil company. The two don't go together. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Bad company ruins good morals. 1 John 2.15, which we're studying in our small groups and D groups. You can't love the world and love God. They don't go together. Right? And some of us feel that tension, and I think our youth feel it maybe more so than the adults. That tension between, okay... Here's what I'm hearing at church, and here's what I'm experiencing at school, or here's what I'm experiencing on my sports team, or here's what I'm experiencing in my extracurricular activities. I'm with people who don't align the same way. And what am I supposed to do with that? David says, I don't fellowship with these people because I can't love God and love the things that they love. You're defined by what you love and what you hate. David says, I love God, and I hate what these evil people do. And if we keep ourselves apart from the wicked, it will always be evidence in our favor should our character come into question. Let me say that again. If we keep ourselves apart from the wicked, it will always be evidence in our favor should our character come into question. There's times when I call kids into my office and I tell them, I don't know if you're guilty of this or not, but I know you're hanging around with people who are. And so sometimes you're guilty by association because you are with people who are doing these things. And I've encouraged some of our kids. I was like, you might need to choose new friends. You might need to change the company that you keep. Because we do ourselves a favor. We provide evidence. If we want to claim integrity, if we want to claim innocence, we do ourselves a favor when we say, look at the company that I keep. Right? Like, you want to question my integrity? You want to question my actions? Well, look and see who I hang out with. I mean, I could invite you into the lunchroom at my school, and you could just kind of see who people choose to sit with, and you could probably identify who I feel like I have to go and kind of observe a little bit more closely when I'm on lunch duty, right? It's the company that they keep, right? People congregate together based on what they are like, right? Their spiritual alignment drives their social alignment. 
And you can kind of see. You tell them they can sit wherever they want, and they will sit exactly where they want. Their spiritual alignment drives their seating choice, right? We do ourselves a favor. If our integrity is in question, we do ourselves a favor if we distance ourselves from the wicked. Number two, we can find confidence in God's favor being upon us because we gather intentionally with the righteous. Right? He doesn't sit with men of falsehood. He doesn't consort with hypocrites. He hates the assembly of evildoers. He will not sit with the wicked. Verse 6, I wash my hands in innocence, and I go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. David has identified where he wants to be, and he wants to be with God's people. David points to further evidence for his integrity based on his activity and the company he has chosen to keep, right? So he says, I'm not involved in this activity and I'm not involved with these people, but I am involved in this activity and I am involved with these people. Instead of hanging with the wicked, he anxiously gathers with God's people. He abhors the anti-church gathering and he identifies with the true church. He gladly worships at the altar. He proclaims thanksgiving when he's there, and he acknowledges God's activity in praise. Listen to this. Because he loves God, he gravitates towards the company of those who love and worship God too. And that's where I would ask all of us the question, but particularly our our youth. Do you do that? Is this true of you? Do you gravitate towards the company of those who love and worship God too? Or do you long to be like the other group? And it's not easy to divide that separation. I get that there is tension and there is temptation and there is a desire to be accepted amongst the wicked because they, they probably outnumber the righteous in your setting. Whether you're in a Christian school or a public school, more than likely those who have committed to a life of integrity, have committed to walk the ways of Yahweh, they are probably lesser in number than the other group. And so it's hard to align with the lesser group. Far more, far more easy to align with the more popular and the more numerous group. David says, I distanced myself from that group. I've committed to integrity, which means I can't walk with that group, right? And instead, I long to be with God's people. Man, I, I, I want, and, and Alex and I have talked about this some, like within our youth group here, like we want there to be community and fellowship and and relationship where our youth desire to be with each other to find hope and encouragement in their walk with jesus together here in this church because they need that they need that if they're going to remain faithful they need that if they're going to stay in front of their their chairs on the beach and their towels on the beach because it's going to be easy to follow the group down the shore right david says i don't hang with those people I'm desirous to be with God's people. A key measure of godliness is who we identify with for community and fellowship. We ought to be named with the righteous group. We should identify with fellow believers and want to be like them. David's expressing a desire here. And again, this is where church involvement is, is criticized and minimized today because the message of the enemy is that church is boring, right? There's, there's other things that you could do with your time that are better. And if we're not careful, our youth buy into that. And they also buy into the lie that church is supposed to be entertaining, right? And it's supposed to meet some type of, of pleasure desire that they have. 
right? Our, our church may not be filled with entertainment, but I can almost assure you that it's more entertaining than what, like, original church probably looked like, right? Definitely more so than what David was experiencing, because, I mean, you're talking about some, some, some crazy stuff in our minds for what David would have experienced, right? Having to bring an animal to church, to the gathering of the people and watching that thing be killed in front of you and blood being splattered all over the place. I mean, that's not necessarily what we think of as far as that's what I want to do with my Sunday, right? David says, I long to be there. I desire to be there. I desire to be with God. I desire to worship him. I desire to talk about him. I desire to talk about what he's doing in my life. I desire to be with other people who want this too, right? I put in my notes, David's desire was to be admitted to God's house, to experience his presence, and to praise him by recounting his deeds. And if you don't desire those things too, I don't have a lot of time for you. Like that was David. He says, I'm a man of integrity, right? I want to be in God's house. I want to be with him in his presence, and I want to praise him by talking about him. And if you don't want to do that, then I don't have a lot of time for you. Like that's not who I want to be with. David says, examine me, God, see if this is right, see if this is accurate, because this is what I feel, and this is what I'm striving for. And this is why that matters, right? Like, why does it matter who David's spending time with? Why does it matter um, whether he's a, a man of integrity in all situations? Why does it matter if he recognizes that he has uh, a non-regulation ball for two strokes, why does it matter if he recognizes that his paycheck's wrong and nobody else has? Why does that matter? Well, David committed to walk with integrity. He's kept himself from evil influences, and he's aligned himself with the worship of the Lord and his people. The implication is that by aligning with God and assembling for God, because we assemble, right? We assemble either with the wicked or the righteous. We all gather, even if you, even if you aren't attending church, you gather with other people. Our youth gather every day at the lunch table. They gather before school. They gather after school. They gather at recess. They, gra- they gather at PE. They gather before practice. They gather after, after practice. They gather before work. They gather after work. We gather with other people. Does our gathering align with God? By aligning with God and assembling for God, we can trust in his favor with no reason to fear him because look what happens next. Verse nine, don't sweep me away with the sinners nor my life with bloodthirsty men and whose hands are evil desires and whose right hands are full of bribes. You know what David's saying? He's saying, look, God, I've separated myself from those people. And I'm asking you to separate me when you come and judge too. Right? He says, look, I've already separated myself, so, so treat me differently because I have separated myself from that group. That's not where my community is. That's not where my fellowship is. I'm running to you. I'm running to your house. I'm running to your people. So when you come back, you count me with your people, right? This is why a guy like Chris can go into the hospital today with heart issues. And he can go confidently because he's a man of integrity and he's separated himself from the wicked, right? So he can step into that hospital and say, God, you count me with your people. If I don't ever leave this hospital, right? If I don't come out again, you count me with your people, right? Chris is a man who can claim Psalms in his life today. Because Chris is about as close to his chair and his towel as he can get, right? But some of us maybe have shifted and some of us have drifted and we're still saying, oh yeah, like God's for me, who can be against me? And God's like, man, you're down, you're down the beach, 
right? Like, you've shifted. You need to come back, right? Because the gospel says come back. The gospel says you come back and you confess your sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive those sins. You may say, man, I've been hanging with the bad company for far too long, and I know better, right? I know the gospel, and I know Jesus, and, and, and I want to be an individual of integrity. I need to come back. Some of you have been on school break, and it's time to go back and say, I sit somewhere different. I keep different company moving forward the rest of the school year. Since David had separated himself from the wicked on his own, he expected God to separate him from the wicked and his treatment of them too. He says, you redeem me, God. You be gracious to me. And he can say that confidently because he has put himself in position to follow the Lord. Right? He trusts the Lord and he follows the Lord. Our application as we close, number one. Your social alignment most likely reflects your spiritual alignment. Do I align and assemble with God's people or evildoers? Your social alignment most likely reflects your spiritual alignment. Do you align and assemble with God's people or evildoers? Number two, your true worship is expressed by the activities you engage in. What type of activities am I known for? David says, I'm not involved in this stuff. I don't do these things that the evildoers do. I'm known for my worship. I'm known for my church involvement. I'm known for the sacrifices that I bring. I'm known for one who recounts the deeds of God. He says, that's what I'm known for. That's my activity. That's what I talk about at the lunch table, right? That's what I'm involved in. That's what's important to me. He says, if, if that's not important to you, I don't have time for you. I don't have time for you. I, I need to find people who, who value the same things as me. David says, vindicate me, God. Look in my life and see that these things are true. And I think David would challenge us that if we will pursue these same types of things, we can have confidence in God's favor and God's presence in our life as well. We trust him, right? We trust in his steadfast love, his faithfulness, because we're not perfect. But if we're saved, the Bible would tell us our habitual bent should be towards him. And if it's not, we need to get things right. We need to recognize we've shifted down the beach and it's time to come back. Let's pray together. God, we love you. And we thank you that you are perfectly in love with us. Your steadfast love does endure forever. But God, help us not to take that for granted and just falsely apply that to us because we heard it at the church that we go to. God, your steadfast love endures for your people. And David said, I'm one of your people because I've walked in integrity and I've assembled with your people and I've distanced myself from the wicked. God, help us to be those type of people as well. God, we recognize that our salvation is based on your steadfast love and not our good works. But we also recognize that if we are truly saved, 1 John tells us we will obey your commands. And you have commanded us to distance ourselves from evil company and to align ourselves with proper, true worship towards you in your house with your people. God, I pray that our youth would see that, that our youth would desire and treasure the type of fellowship and community that they are meant for as believers. God, protect them from the evils of this world because we can't protect them fully. We can't put them in the right school. We can't put them in the right after-school programs. We can't, we can't protect them from everything. And God, we're asking for you to protect them. We're asking for you to drive these truths home into their heart. God, for all of us, I pray that we would see that 
that to rightfully lay claim to these hopes that are found in Psalms, it necessitates that we stay close to you. And God, we're thankful that you do the work to keep us close to you. It's your steadfast love, it's your faithfulness that works and moves inside of us. But God, help us to be able to cry like David does. Vindicate me, Lord. Look at me, look at my life. Show me where I'm still wrong. But God, help us to celebrate the work that you're doing in our life where faithfulness and victory is being seen too. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.